welcome to today's podcast episode. We have an amazing guest joining us today. Dana and I are super excited to welcome Hannah Jakover, who has been a friend of UDGs for a long, long time. By way of introduction, Hannah is joining us from Portland, Oregon. Thank you, Hannah, for jumping on this morning. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I did a little excited dance to be on this morning. And yeah, like when I saw your email come through asking me to be a guest, I had to do a double take. And I, of course, I'm so honored. (laughs) And then she had her people call our people. So um, Yeah, we it's starting to feel that way, Hannah, with all your speaking, right? Yes. Like, dude, when yes. you're going to be your high commodity. We, today, we knew her when. We knew yes. her when. <laughs> <laughs> so just a quick bio on Hannah. So she has 10 plus years experience in advising, in marketing, demand generation, marketing and sales operation, coaching, leadership, just an amazing resume of all the good things in B2B marketing. She is also an ICF certified coach focused on leadership development, which is really the area that we're going to dive into and really learn from her today. She is specializing in co-creating authentic journeys, and that ties into the UDG way of thinking. You know, we're focused on authenticity when it comes to marketing and communicating, so we'll definitely want to hit on that as well. And you are also a board member on Women in Revenue and wanted to give a shout out to our lovely uh, friends over at Women in Revenue, an amazing organization that is kicking ass and really helping women to grow in their careers. So welcome. Hannah is also a podcast host and a frequent speaker in the industry. We've seen your name pop up on invites for industry events, and and you're focused on talking about leadership and, and authenticity and kind of some of the cool cool new things that you're experiencing in your role at Hype House. So can't wait to dive into that. Last thing, just the mom of adorable Maxon. Maxon is five now? Five, six? How old is he? Five and a half. Yeah, five and a half. Wow. Oh my gosh. Time flies. I know. I remember when we were doing baby shower stuff. So um, five years. Did he start kindergarten this year? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. He's like with the big kids and he's loving it. What's great is that he's right down the street. So I can literally hear them playing at recess, which very comforting. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love it. I told Jason, like, you better believe I'm going to book my ass down there so fast if I hear anything going on. (laughs) (laughs) I just such a fun age too. Like they're just so curious about everything and you can start to have conversations with them about bigger things. I don't know. I Mm -hmm. loved that age. So I love it. I love it. Well, welcome Hannah. Super, super excited. So yeah. So Dana, you want to kick it off? Let's dig in a little bit here. Yes. So Hannah, you have such an interesting path, I think, right? I mean, you started as a marketer doing what we're all doing today, and then you've moved into this coaching role. So we'd love to hear a little bit about that journey, how you got going with Hype House, maybe what were some of the reasons for the transition and the move towards this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I started as a marketer and I started agency side, which I think is not super typical for those going into marketing. But I think that that was a really good foundation for me to really have that like zoomed out view of the landscape and organizations and how people moved and worked in organizations. So I do think that like that foundationally 
was a big part of me wanting to move into coaching. And then another foundational piece is that my parents are actually both executive coaches and organizational development explorers. And so that's just the environment that I grew up in. And whether I knew it or not, I think I absorbed a lot of their coaching mindset and have just taken that with me into every area of my life. And so, you know, I was leading pretty early in my career and I think a lot of that just came naturally to me. And I definitely think a big part of that was due to just the environment. Yeah. Yeah. And so thinking about a little bit later in my career, well, actually, I mean, I want to back up because here we are sitting with the woman that like brought me into tech, really, you know, and like she's my mentor and has been such an amazing friend. And she was my boss. I hate that word, but like, yeah, you were my boss. <laughs> I hate it too. Yeah. But such a hard ass too. People <laughs> think we're like a mom and daughter duo or they oh, used to. It's true. It's true. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. But Carrie and I, yeah. Do you want to tell the story of how we yeah, met? Yeah, let's tell the story. Okay. So, so at the time I lived in Bend, Oregon and my kids were middle school and elementary school. So self-sufficient, but what I really needed help with was kind of the after-school stuff, getting them picked up from school, making sure everybody got home, got their homework done, kind of getting everything ready for um, moving into the evening of all the other activities of a busy family. And I was looking for a nanny. And so I was looking on care.com, ran across Hannah's profile. And at the very bottom, she had like a little link that said like, switch to my marketing resume. And I popped over and I was like, wow, this woman is amazing. She's recent college graduate in marketing, has done some really cool internships. And I was like, I'm going to reach out to her and I'm going to see if maybe she could wear two hats and be be our nanny part-time and work at the agency part-time. It's hilarious. And, and she was game for it, which I was a little surprised. And we both agreed it was going to be super awesome or a train wreck. And we would just <laughs> have to wait and see. You know, the nanny knows all the dirt. So totally. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the nanny and the house cleaners know where the bodies are hidden. <laughs> so that's how we met. Yeah. How and, long did you nanny for before you became full-time marketer with Carrie? Oh gosh. I maybe was it like a year? Yeah, yeah I think so. about it. We had conversations and it was like, okay, when do we want to what as soon as we knew that it was going well and that I was excited to be more involved at the agency, we sort of started talking about, okay, like how do we do this transition? And yeah, I think it was about a year and you know, Ruby was getting older and didn't I think I was almost like a glorified chauffeur half the time, <laughs> which was totally fine with me. <laughs> but oh. yeah, it's funny, like in hindsight being where I am now as a mom, like I totally understand the need for help with transitions. And like Carrie had one thing that she was pretty hardcore about. And she's like, I just want the dishwasher emptied. Not a big ass. I just want the dishwasher emptied. And for a while, I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever you want. Like you're paying me. And I'm like, gosh, at home, I never have this problem, you know? But I swear to God, now that I'm a mom, I am just like, can somebody just Empty the fucking dishwasher. Like, that's all God, I, I feel the same way. It's the dishwasher. Yeah. So I, I totally get it. it. But yeah, I, I um I was really driven. 
I've always been very driven in terms of moving into tech, moving into marketing. That's just always been my dream. I did a lot of snowboard related internships and sort of veered in a different path. But at the time, and this kind of weaves into our discussion, is I graduated in the middle of a recession. So it was sort of that moment of what do I do? You know, I'm not getting the results that I want. And I like to think that this was kind of manifested for us, you know, because I knew that there was going to be a solution. And I just put myself in an environment that I knew that I would be happy in, which was Bend. I knew that I could do the thing that I love to do, which was snowboard. And I would find a job. And I did. And it and it was literally like the kickstart of my career. And gosh, just like so grateful for our meeting. Well, it's so funny because I do a lot of manifestation stuff and I listen. It's a path of least resistance, right? It just happened. It was... Came, when it's easy, it's right is the thing I always try and remember. When it's difficult, that resistance, there's something there that's telling you that maybe this isn't the right path. So yes. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And I think I started experiencing more of that resistance in the middle of my career, but I continued to push through. And I bounced around to a couple of other different agencies. And then like the resistance was so strong that I I made the decision to go in-house and work in-house at a startup, which at the time I thought was the right thing for me. It was super fun. And I got to like really flex my muscle and showcase all of the skills that I had developed agency side and like really own a lot of that, which was exciting for me. But I think the resistance that I was experiencing was internal instead of external. And so I had that moment where I just had to pause, say, what am I doing? You know, and obviously there were other life circumstances happening around that moment that were sort of the catalyst to that. But it was an opportunity for me to really reset on why am I here? What is my purpose? How am I tying my work to my purpose? Like, I don't want to be, and I watched my boss, I watched my VP of marketing move throughout her day. And I just said, I don't want her job. I don't want to do that. I don't want to pretend to care about appeasing board members and shareholders and investors. And like, I want to care about people. I want to help people. I want to make that impact one-to-one and let that move throughout teams. So yeah, I think it was a moment where I just sort of tied together like my roots, like where did I come from? And thinking about my parents and the values that they instilled in me and the experiences that I had in my career, both from being a very young person and being accelerated in my career pretty quickly into roles that, you know, I was doing some stuff that I had no business doing for sure. (laughs) But, you know, oftentimes I would be the youngest in the room and I would get up and I would be presenting to a room with 15 men, 10 years my senior, and they're looking at me like, who the hell are you talking about our (laughs) revenue? (laughs) So make you know, it till you make it, we say, right, Dana? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're the one who knows what's going on. They don't, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, story yeah. of our lives as women, for sure. So I think that's such a great transition into kind of, Hannah, what we want to talk about today, which is really the generational collision. And we'll be real transparent here. We have 30s, 40s, and 50s all represented here from an age demographic. <laughs> Guess who is who? Yeah. 
<laughs> I think that we all have real different experiences from social and economic circumstances during our careers. I think that often these gaps can cause these internal conflicts that we have. I mean, you talked about just an internal conflict of, you know, am I on the right path? Is this what I want to be doing? And sometimes we're so sure that, yeah, I want to be the CMO or I want to be the VP of marketing. And like you took a look at it and went, no, I don't. And then I think as women, on top of it, it adds another layer. How do you see women successfully navigating these differences? You know, I think you gave such a good example of your experience, but in your conversations that you're having, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Yeah, I'm a big systems thinker, so I like to zoom out. I think we get a little wrapped up in the individualization of like whose fault and who's doing what incorrectly and zoom out. You know, I think we live in systems that are not built for us. I think we work in systems that are not built for us. And I think that all women need to recognize that and lean into the fact that we could talk about the patriarchy all day long. And it's a very serious thing. It's very real. And we will forever uphold these systems. Um, we will forever uphold concepts like white supremacy so long as the patriarchy is upheld. And we do things every single day as women to uphold the patriarchy. And I think that if we can step back from that and understand for each of us, like, what am I doing to uphold these systems that are so harmful, harmful to me, harmful to others, harmful to everybody, and really break that down, we can get there. You know, I don't think it's just about like, let's hold hands and march forward. Like we can't, like these are big, big ass systems that were built for a reason that we're trying to break down. So it requires an understanding of what that actually looks like. No, that's great. So interesting. You know, I think we want to dive in a little bit more and understand your perception on, I don't want to say like, old leaders and young leaders, but let's just say that, and I'll put myself in the old category. The colleagues that are in my cohort, you know, we're all talking about when are we going to be retiring, right? So that's the cohort that I'm in at this point. I hated working for women when I was younger in my career because they were bitches, right? And it was kind of this thing where it's like, I, I just can't work for another woman. And, and part of why I went out on my own, you know, we were all just trying to just to get ourselves recognized as being authoritative and as being somebody that knew what they were doing, right? And looking back, I understand why, right? I understand why we were doing that because we were, you know, as you said, we were um, talked over, we were ignored. Our opinion didn't matter because we were just young women. And I recognize now that some of the bosses that I had in the early days, they were just trying to have their voice heard. And there was nobody talking about, you know, how to be a better leader, how to be an authentic leader in that kind of environment. And I feel like you're lucky. You're lucky, Hannah, because these are conversations that people are talking about that 30 years ago, we weren't. We were just no, suffering not through. at all. Yeah. And I like I am privileged to have the experience that I did. And because probably of your experience, Carrie, right, you built the agency that I came into with that, with that. I don't want to lead like that. I don't want to work for people like that, right? Like those were part of your beliefs and core values and based on your experience. And so I then got the privilege of experiencing you in a very different way, probably, than you experience other women in leadership positions. So 
and I think it's just like that domino effect and we need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad to me when we see it because you still see it now a little bit, right? Women trying to get ahead and taking down other women to do so or not supporting other women. It's like, gosh, at this point in our careers, can we all just, I mean, with everybody, you know, lift each other up. I mean, there's place and room for everybody to grow and all the ideas that flow and the idea of being threatened, especially from another woman is always so frustrating to me because I'm like, especially when we see an older woman helping with a younger woman, it's like, help her out. Let's get her to where we didn't have those opportunities. And, and you still see it a little bit. And it's so, frustrating to me when you see it, right? Yeah. I think it's that understanding of there's room for everybody. And it's also our responsibility to make the chairs, make the space, elongate the table, like whatever we need to do. But everyone sitting around is not your competition. It's you're not like those people are not the ones that are blockading you from success. It is a much larger, bigger systemic thing. Yes. (laughs) So true. Yeah. So I think this is a good transition into the leadership discussion we want to have today. In your podcast, Hana, The Hype Within, you focus on this idea of authentic leadership journeys. So how do you talk and coach people on putting this into practice if you're a new leader versus a leader with many more years of experience? Yeah, great question. And just as a precursor, The name of my company, Hype House Coaching, and the name of the podcast, The Hype Within, all have a meaning behind it. And it's really about developing inner hype and this idea of exploring what it means to be so confident in the knowing of who you are and what you bring to the table and your uniqueness instead of that external hype, because external hype fades. External hype is not real. So it is that fire within you that will get you where you want to be in your personal life as well as in your professional life. So that's really that the concept of the company and and the podcast. But I so to that point, I always like to think about where people are in terms of leading themselves leading others and leading an organization. And so often we see people thrown into these positions where they're leading others, but they don't even have this leading self thing figured out. And so I think it's assessing, you know, where are you on that spectrum and what compared to what your requirements are of your role, like what are you actually supposed to be doing and where are the gaps in between? So if you're a newer manager, you probably need to do some more work on that leading self area and going within and asking yourself questions, building the ability to self-reflect, building your emotional intelligence skills and all of that versus if maybe you're on that leading others bucket and you have done some work in the leading self area, maybe it's about your leadership style and understanding, well, how am I leading? How are others perceiving this? How do I get people to do things that we need them to do? How do I build trust with others? So I think it's just assessing, you know, where somebody is at. And typically the newer managers are going to either have skipped the leading self bucket and we need to go back. Even more senior leaders have skipped that bucket too. So it's not to say that it's like age related or senior already related, but I like to think of it that way. It's so true. And as we see in tech specifically, if you're good at your job, you get promoted to manager. And it's like, (laughs) I mean, that's probably the perfect opportunity for you, right, Hannah? Because people getting promoted to manager doesn't necessarily mean they're good leaders. It means they're good at the tactical components of their job, right? Yeah. And I think just 
Like if you don't cover that leading self bucket, there's so much that gets in the way. There's so much noise. There's so much ego that gets in the way because you haven't answered those questions for yourself. And I've been there. I've totally been there. Like we all learn from those experiences. There are times where I look back and I'm like, that was not the leader I wanted to be. And I know that I needed to work more on that leading self bucket. But it's like, how can we prepare people better? How can we make sure that that doesn't happen as often? Yeah, I think it's so important because I agree with you. I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's really hard to self-reflect, right? And I think that the maturity of a leader is not based on age at all. It is based on this ability to look at yourself and know where you have to work and understand the emotions that are driving the reactions, right? And I think that's the, and I think that's what you're saying, Hunter, right? Is at the end of the day, how we show up emotionally to these roles is, I think, often a direct reflection of how you're leading, right? I think if you're constantly in the worry and in this resistance and this control area of leadership, then you're constantly leading in a way of deficit, right? Essentially, you're constantly trying to play catch up and you're ultimately not letting the person flourish underneath you, I think, in the way that they could. And you're never going to get to what you're trying to get to. You're never going to see the results because you're trying to control the outcome too much. Yeah. Yeah. And then you project it out. And then that's how everyone around you operates. And I did a lot of work and education around just neuroscience. Like I'm so into neuroscience. And after going through a lot of like the emotional on my personal journey, like the emotional healing, I went directly to like, how does my brain work? How do these things work? How do these systems internally work? And what's driving what? And what are the chemicals? And that's a huge area that I think is so untapped when it comes to leadership, because just thinking about emotional regulation and what that means when you show up and you are emotionally regulated, like your nervous system is calm you can then help calm the nervous systems or at least like allow for that space for others to regulate and then think of the opposite, which is the more, I think, traditional route where it's like you're all riled up, your nervous system's out of whack. Half of the people I feel like don't tap into their nervous system and check in and say, am I regulated today? Or is my nervous system, do, do I need some work on my nervous system today? It's funny you say that. I'm doing some work with a coach on this right now and she specializes in that. And I think the... The one thing that she said in one of our sessions, which was so interesting to me, and maybe a lot of people know this or don't, but the emotion actually only lasts 90 seconds or something like that. And then it's the memories and the perception of what's going to happen. Or basically our imagination takes over. And so that's what continues to drive this reaction that maybe essentially is not how we want to show up as a leader that, you know, after the emotion. And so some of the tools and tactics that we work on are just, it's just a way different way of looking at things, Hana. So I, I could see why you're so interested it's fascinating. So. Oh, yeah. I could talk about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana and I, as the agency has grown, we're really working on developing a new new and different leadership style for us, right? Because we're, we have an amazing team. We've got amazing leadership. We have all the pieces put in place. Now we just have to get out of their way so that they can be successful. And that's not easy. You know, it's a lot of the client relationships started and belong with us and, and letting all of those things go, I think has been a growth opportunity for Dana and I to experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that almost goes to the point around trust too, like trust in leadership. And it goes both ways. 
Like as a leader, you have to trust your team You to let go, to step back. Like, you have to trust your team and your team has to trust you. And I don't know that we spend enough time building trust. I think some people just naturally do that. Like Carrie, I think you and I just naturally connect in that way. But I don't think that that happens for a lot of people just organically. I think that it is actual effort to building psychological safety and going through the motions of building trust and building that relationship, which is hard. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, think about how long it takes you to build trust just in a relationship outside of work, right? And friendships or romantic relationships, all of those take time to build trust. And I think sometimes we think, if you think about how you interview someone, and Carrie, you and I have talked about this before, you have a couple hours with them and your team, and then all of a sudden, and they do too, right? They're interviewing you and you make this huge life decision, (laughs) right? About where I'm going to spend the majority of my day and the majority of my week with these people. I mean, I see my work colleagues on Zoom more than I see my children. I mean, that's real, right? And so I think when you think about it that way, it's crazy that we expect, oh, you should just trust me now when you work for me. And think about how long it takes to build that outside of the work environment. And we just, we think it's going to be different in work, but it's not to your point, right, Hannah? Yeah. I've had so many sessions where like people come in and it's one issue around where they want to be going and how they want to communicate that. But what we uncover is it's a the foundation of of building trust in a relationship with the people around that person never happened. And so we have to explore like what would it look like to reset with those relationships and what are the things that you would need to do to make that happen. And it unlocks just a whole different path for some people because they're not focused on that, like, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. They're focused on building what's needed for them to go wherever, like whatever direction they're going. But like, they don't have the fuel right at that moment. And they need to kind of go back and refuel and think about that instead of moving forward to wherever they think they should be going. That's really powerful. I think I could see where that could totally change kind of their perception of the role and, and what they're striving for. So we're so lucky that Hannah is out in the world I know. coaching people. This is <laughs> this is amazing. You're doing amazing work. Thank you. Thank you. And it's honestly like it's so fulfilling to me. And it's not surprising because even in client work, like what was fulfilling to me was watching my clients succeed, like watching my clients tell their stakeholders a story and feel really confident and feel really good and like get the A-OK from them. Like that was so cool to watch for me or watching people that I managed rise and do it their own way and be successful at that. Like that is just the most fulfilling thing for me is to watch, even if it was just a little bit of impact that I made and then watching that person just take off is, is really cool. Yeah. That's amazing. I know one of your passion areas is DEI. So can you talk about kind of what you're passionate about and what you're seeing in companies that they're doing successfully or maybe that they have areas for improvement on? And then kind of as part of this conversation, are you seeing there is a generational difference in how they adopt these types of initiatives or maybe embrace or not embrace? Yeah, 
And I always say, like, I'm not a DEI expert. It's not my passion to go into that in terms of a role. But I have that lived experience, you know, as a Black woman that also mixed with white, like I have a very different view on the world. I also have other layers of diversity in there. So I have all of these intersecting identities that have given me such vast life experiences that a lot of people that I talk to that don't have those experiences, like they have no idea what that's like. And that kind of also speaks to experience versus lived experience versus experience in terms of years, right? My level of maturity, I had to mature at a certain rate at a certain age because of the lived experiences that I have had as a human. And so I always think that like even just thinking about diversity and hiring people like that point in itself is so important. Like, are you looking at seniority? Are you looking also at lived experiences and what this person has done in their life, what they have experienced in their life and what lessons that that has brought them because that can bring a lot to the table too. And so, yeah, I think that companies that are doing it right, I mean, first of all, it's still really bad. Like I still think that when we look at the different layers of experiences or different layers of diversity, we're not seeing a whole lot of progress. I think we want to say that we are, but sadly, we're not. You know, women are still getting paid far less than men. The amount of funding that goes to Black founders is still, oh my God, it's still, I think, like under 1%. It's disgusting. And then now we have this other layer of diversity that I think we're starting to think more about, right? Sexual orientation. We're thinking about Uh, neurodiversity. We're thinking about disabilities, right? Like there's so many different layers to diversity. And I think that we also need to expand our thinking on that because, you know, I'll hop onto LinkedIn and I see these women advocating for diversity. But what they're really talking about is there's no women in whatever you're doing. Like they're comparing men versus women when it's like, I want to hop in there and I want to also say yes. And There's no black women. There's no other women of color. There's no disabled women. There's no queer women. There's, you know, like there's just so many things. I think that that can be really overwhelming to people because you are closest to your privilege, right? You're closest to your privilege. So that's the quote unquote oppression that you're going to call out. So I think expanding that, looking at the whole umbrellas is a good thing to do. And I think companies that are doing that really well are recognizing those different groups of people and they're honoring their experiences, whether that's through ERGs or through company-wide initiatives where they're giving them the mic and giving them opportunities. But I think honestly, like put your money where your mouth is, elevate those people in their roles, look at Look at the salaries across the board and look at the data, what's actually happening with diverse groups and underrepresented groups in your organizations. And how can you elevate those people into higher positions where they're getting paid more? They're getting paid what they're worth. I always was a big proponent of, too, like tying diversity initiatives to comp, right? Like if you're an executive, especially if you're a white male, Okay, put your money where your mouth is. Let's tie some diversity initiatives to your actual compensation. Yeah, 
I love that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's bold, but. <laughs> well, and I know the yeah. three of us all have wonderful life partners. I know all of, all of your partners and obviously I know mine as well. And I think that's a critical piece of our success, right? We are very lucky to have life partners that allow us to, to do some of this work and to explore and to take risks and, and things like that, where that's not the case for everyone. Yeah. It's about having a support structure, whatever that is for you. And yeah, feeling that you're supported through because it does require in your career is, is whether it should or shouldn't, it's harder for the diverse group to work and to build the careers. And it feels more daunting, I think. And so if you don't feel supported, it makes it even that much more difficult. So absolutely. You had touched on neurodivergence. Now, I didn't know that you had a passion for neuroscience. I love that. I think that's amazing. So talk to us a little bit about what that means. And as a caveat, this is new to me. I've only started hearing this term within the last year and kind of understanding what that means and how that could present an opportunity as a leader to ensure that I'm looking and providing opportunities for team members that may experience neurodivergence. Yeah, I think it's a really important topic right now. And I think to your question earlier, generationally, what we're seeing I think it's or what we need to be doing is just like unpacking, unpacking your beliefs, unpacking what you were taught about certain things. Like I'm constantly educating my parents, my family around neurodivergency and how that impacts me because their view and definition of autism, for example, or ADHD is so narrow based on just experience and society and like what they've been taught. So I think that that's important for us to think about and doing that education that you're talking about, Carrie. But essentially, when we think about neurodiversity, neurodiversity is just the sense that like everybody has a different brain, right? Everybody has a diverse way, neurological way of moving through the world. But when we think about neurodivergent, it's an umbrella of different, um, I'm trying to think of the word that I want to use because I don't love to say like, I don't love to say di uh, different diagnoses, let's just say different diagnoses that are neurolo you just have neurological differences. And that umbrella is huge. That umbrella is ADHD, autism, the two that I mentioned, but it's also anxiety. It's also PTSD. It's also dyslexia. So I do encourage people to actually look at what is under that umbrella of being neurodivergent. And some people, like my sister, is dyslexic has not realized like, oh, there's this term. I am in that umbrella of being neurodivergent. And what does that mean? And the reason why neuroscience to me is so important is because I discovered I was neurodivergent and I wanted to understand what is happening in my brain that is so different from other people's brains and really kind of learn how to unpack that and the different nuances there. So I think we just need to look at what's under that umbrella and then what do these different groups how do they learn? What do they need? What are some expectations? What's important to them? And everybody's so different, right? Like everybody's so unique. But I think having a general understanding that there are huge learning differences and needs and just basic needs to survive. It doesn't look like the average neurotypical brain. And so just having that understanding and then getting to a point where whether somebody's self-disclosing at work or not, 
you are open to accommodating those needs. You are creating environments where people can communicate those needs and maybe like, hey, here's why I do this. Here's why I communicate like this. And they can start to link together like, oh, this is not just like a cute personality thing. This is a something that's happening in your brain that is causing you to do this or they're masking, right? They're hiding it and they're trying to assimilate. They're trying to look and sound like other people, which is what I did for a lot of my life. But yeah, I think unpacking all of that is really important. Yeah, that's fascinating. My daughter has ADHD and when she was applying for a um, internship, that was one of the questions is, do you have it? She asked me, what should I say? And I really struggled with giving her the feedback. I ended up saying, I don't think you should disclose it because I don't think going back to the trust, like I don't know who the hiring manager is. I don't know who's looking at this and what their perceptions are. And are you giving them too much information so they can make judgments about you without really knowing you, you know, before they even interview you. And I don't know if that's the right approach or not, but that was what I had had coached her on. And she thinks completely different. You know, the way that she processes information is completely different. The things that she struggles with, I have a hard time understanding why she's struggling with it because she is brilliant. She's extremely smart. But again, to your point, Hannah, we got to talk about this. We've got to understand it. And we've got to know, like, how do we pull out the best in you so that you can flourish and become your best self in an environment that's maybe more black and white when you're all the colors, right? Yeah, I think it's huge. And yeah, it's there are implications. There are implications to disclosing. You know, I am always nervous talking about it. You know, are clients going to not want to work with me? Are people going to put me on a list of some sort? If I go through a formal diagnosis, what does that mean for me legally? Can I move to another country? Sometimes you can't. If you have diagnosis of autism, for example, there are, I guess, policies in place in other countries where you cannot necessarily move to that other country because of that diagnosis. And that's just one example. There's many others. But yeah, there's serious implications. And I think that it goes back to that almost like leading self bucket that we talked about earlier, where you have to be aware of your biases. You have to be aware of what you were told about things like this. You know, when somebody says, I have autism or I have ADHD, what comes to mind? Because when I say that to somebody, they look at me like I am off my rocker. You know, they're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I have to say, well, you know, what kind of understanding do you have around autism? Because what we were taught is that it's really something that happens in little white boys who like trains and talk, you know, like act a very, very certain way and have these very stringent like behavioral needs and challenges. And we need to just expand way, way beyond that because it's so much more because it also prevents people from seeing who they are. It prevented me from realizing that I was neurodivergent too. Yeah. This is fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think we have a few minutes left, Carrie. Should we try and debunk some leadership myths based on the generations before we... Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. I was kind of thinking we could do um, who wore it better. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. So I'm going to throw a couple of things at you, Hannah, and I think a lot of these things are obvious, but let's see. So let's talk about work-life balance. Let's talk about which generation, the millennials or the Gen Xers, tend to focus more on work-life balance and making that a priority in their work environment. I totally think millennials, I mean, this one's hard because data shows that millennials and Gen Z are the most burnt out generation. And so I think that millennials, while they are more burnt out, I think that there's a lot of stigma around leaning into like, what does that balance look like? I think that what we're seeing is a lot of unlearning of that right now. And millennials being like, wait a second, I'm not doing this anymore. And so they're finally speaking up. They're finally figuring out what that looks like and how to talk about it. I think Gen Z is like, yeah, we're not doing that. We have these boundaries. And if you cross them, there's going to be a problem. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. Technology adoption. (laughs) I know the answer to this because I played, what was the Atari was my video game that I played or Pong. (laughs) My God, we had a Commodore 64 that had a game on it that it was like... (laughs) I love that. I love that. So which generation um, is technically uh, uh, more savvy, more tech savvy? Yeah, totally millennials. (laughs) It's kind of obvious, although my husband would like to disagree, but. um... But, Okay, so let me ask this, because I've also heard that they're not necessarily more tech savvy. They are more tech dependent. So do you see a difference there, Hannah? Yeah, I guess we are more tech dependent, but that is just where this like our society is gone. Like I think everybody is now tech dependent. I think that maybe growing up, right, there's an element of yes, growing up, we were more tech dependent when we didn't maybe necessarily need to be. But now we're at a point where it's like you kind of have to be tech dependent. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have, uh, well, probably not Max and yet, Dana, maybe your kids. My kids, when I'm looking at my phone and I'm like perplexed on what I need to do, they'll grab it from me and just do it. (laughs) So this is, I think, what's interesting with, I think why I asked the question is, no, like Alec is 17. He needs technology in his life, but he doesn't know how to fix things always. I mean, he can figure things out faster, I think, differently. It's interesting. Like, he'll still go to Tony for help on some tech things or this isn't working. And maybe it's just an age thing. So we'll see. I think what's more interesting to me, because what would Alec be? What What is he? He would be He's a, a Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Gen Z. So the one thing that's crazy to me, Hano, with this is... The amount of media going on at one time that they can absorb. So he has two monitors. He has Discord. He plays games. He's doing homework. And he's also texting friends. Like, literally, we are talking and I'm going, oh, my gosh, my head hurts in your room because I don't know what you're doing right now. Like, how are you? I don't know how you're functioning at this moment with all of this coming at you. And he's like, what? And I'm like, are you watching a YouTube video while you're playing a video game? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, huh. So I just, I don't know. That piece of it is crazy to me. So yeah, that part's kind of scary for sure. And my son, right? Five and a half, like he will watch his iPad and sometimes he'll like have something on the TV and I choose one or the other. He's like, I'm watching them both. (laughs) And And he is. 
And he (laughs) is. And he is. My son's also neurodivergent. And I do think like this actually goes back to that conversation where sometimes that sort of processing is helpful for people that are neurodivergent. But there's also a lot of data that supports that multitasking like that is so bad for your brain. Like it actually leads to like cognitive decline. It's so bad for you. So then moving into an environment, like a work environment for these kids that do that, like how do you get them to think about monotasking and working on one thing? Are they going to be able to? I don't know. Are they going to be interested in the data that supports the fact that like they're literally getting dumber if they multitask like that? (laughs) I don't know. Well, and that leads to, I had had, I think I'd mentioned to you all prior to this call that I had sat in a session on Workforce 3.0 and they were talking about this Gen Z and millennials really needing this excitement. And like TikTok was the example, right? The video every few seconds carries new favorite social media platform. I'm into TikTok now. It's terrible. <laughs> it's such a time waste. <laughs> but because there's something new coming out all the time, right? There is this perception a little bit of this instant gratification. You're probably even seeing with your five-year-old, like my younger two, like, mom, we're listening in the car, play this song. And I'll be like, it's the radio. I, I can't play that song. <laughs> and he's like, I mean, they just don't even understand. But the movement is so fast that they get bored easier in the job, right? And so it's about creating this excitement for them. But like as a leader, like where Carrie and I are coming from, like I go, oh my gosh, how do we do it? Something doesn't change that fast. How do you keep it coming at them at the momentum? And to your point, is it even good to have that kind of momentum at the information in the multiple ways it's coming at you? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think too, maybe that's part of why Gen Z does have those boundaries in place because work is like, maybe work is just kind of like this constant where in other areas of their life, they're going to get that. They're going to you know, create space to have more experiences, have all of that, you know, excitement. And work is like what just over here, right? Work is over here. And the rest of my life is what's probably way more important to them. And that's where they are getting that. But I think also then it's thinking about, well, yes, everybody wants to get paid more. But, you know, Gen Z wants experiences. Millennials want experiences. And so how do you create meaningful experiences at work, through culture, through challenging projects, through relationships. There's, I think there's lots of ways to do it. And providing feedback and giving recognition, those types of things definitely are a benefit. So, well, um, I think we could talk about this all day, guys. This is amazing. Hannah, we're just so thrilled that you were able to join us. So we've got just two quick things to wrap up. The first question, I'll go ahead and since I'm the one with the TikTok tick, um, <laughs> is it's a thing. I'm telling you, I keep saying five more minutes, five more minutes. <laughs> and you know, I have to tell you, Hannah, Sophie's my only TikTok friend. And every time I get on, I wait to see what videos that she sent me because oh her God. algorithms are really good. And so, you know, I'm dying. Last night I was like, mine were on fire. So I sent her like eight last night. So I haven't checked in to see what she thinks about it. But I will be your TikTok friend. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to find you. I'm going to find okay. you. I only want the stuff that's funnier than shit. Cause I, I must be way old school. Cause I'm just on Instagram buying things. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I need that face cream. Oh, I need that supplement. I, that's what I do all night long. So <laughs> I am literally, I say to my husband, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. He's like, bullshit. You're going to go in there and TikTok for two hours. <laughs> I do the same thing. I hear I hear the footsteps down the hallway. I'm like, <laughs> 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 
I love it. I love it. So, so, so the question for you is Taylor and Travis, what do we think? Is this a PR ploy or is it, are we uh, setting ourselves up for the wedding of the century? Oh, this is a tough one. And I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself to be a Swifty. I've always been a fan, but not so hardcore. And I was kind of on the Carly. Is it Carly? Wasn't there like a conspiracy theory that she was gay and she was had this thing with, is it Carly? I don't know. Anyways, I was sort of on that bandwagon. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I like this. I like this story for her. <laughs> this feels right. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of think it's legit. Like I sort of do just watching it and watching her at the games, which is fun and her reactions. And I feel like it's genuine. I do. I, I feel like they have that kind of like spark and it feels exciting. So I feel like there might be a wedding in our future Ooh, here. Look at yeah. that. I and mean, if you look at the hand holding technique and the, <laughs> you know, like the placement oh of the God. hands and opening yeah. the door, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. This is okay. Hannah, you've known Carrie longer than I have, and I've known her a long time as well. She is obsessed right now with this and it's cracking <laughs> me up. So before she left on vacation, she was like, she, we were working on the newsletter and we were like, what's the theme? Because we always try to do something from pop culture. And she goes, I won't be upset if it's about Taylor. And I was like, okay, we'll see you later. Go on vacation, Carrie. <laughs> well, then what do you think about it, Carrie? Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I think it's, it's true love. It's true love. <laughs> I'm totally into the Kelsey brothers. So I listen to their podcast as as well. Um, New Heights, they're just funny. You know, they're smart. They're funny. They love their families. I mean, you know, what's not to love? He's gorgeous. He dances. I think they're a match made in heaven. So we'll see. Love it. Wedding bells ringing. Yes. yes. <laughs> we should take bets on this and then we can go back and listen to this in a year. I am in Vegas. So let's, yeah. let's get the odds going. Here. Yeah, we We're can just... start a whole board here. <laughs> So, all right. Last question, Hannah. Just what are you working on? What do you have new and interesting, exciting that you want to share with everybody? I think the most exciting thing is I am working with my mom. So we are forming oh, a partnership. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, she's been in the biz in terms of executive coaching for like 30 plus years. So she's or guess carries rule 20 plus years. Yes. <laughs> She'll be mad plus. at me for that. But yeah, and, and she's sort of thinking about, well, when am I going to retire? And when am I going to slow down? And so we're building a, a fun partnership Yay. where we get to work together, oh, which I'm, I'm so excited so, about. I have goosebumps. I love your mom. <laughs> I love your mom. That's amazing. She's the best. That's so exciting. Congratulations on that for both of you. I mean, and how like, well, and Carrie and I are both mothers, like to have your child want to work with you and do some of that. I don't know. That's as I've got one going to college. I know Carrie years are older and I'd be like, oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that I feel amazing. like they're leaving. At some point I'm like, oh my gosh, Alec is leaving me now. So <laughs> I love yeah. it. Your mom is fantastic. That's amazing. Can't wait to see how that plays out. Now, do you want to give a shout out to your coaching services? How should somebody reach out to you if, you know, if they have an interest in learning more about an authentic leadership journey? Yes. Honestly, I think go to my LinkedIn and 
explore the content first, right? See if I am somebody who you'd be interested in talking to. And then there's a link in my at the top of my profile that will lead you to an opportunity for us to connect. And I like to have consultations, but in those, I like to actually coach. So I like to let people experience what coaching is like and walk away with some real momentum. And yeah, it's honestly, I think it's the best experience. And I would love to work with more more folks who are excited about leaning into their authentic leadership journey. Love it. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Hannah. Dana, always fun. Have a great rest of the day. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Thank you. And that's as real as it's getting with this episode. Thanks for joining our hosts, Dana Harder and Carrie Baldwin with Unreal Digital Group in this podcast, Marketing Gets Real where we talk to savvy leaders who seek change, adapt to it, and leverage it as an opportunity. If you're loving these oh shit, tell it how it is conversations, then please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts from. Until next time.